This is episode 27 with Barbara Coloroso, an internationally recognized speaker and best-selling author in the areas of parenting, teaching, school discipline, and nonviolent conflict resolution. And today we'll be talking about how you can parent through a crisis. That when you have been brought to your knees in grief, can you get up in the morning, fix your children breakfast, say, we're going to get through this. We will get through this. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. Today, you are in for a treat. This episode is so important for us parents to know and to understand. And that is how to parent through a crisis. Specifically, what we'll be talking about is crisis such as a death, an illness, suicide, a divorce, or any other form of crisis, murder, uh, foster family, a fire, you you lose your home, or there's a crisis in your community. Of course, right now with COVID-19, that is also a form of crisis. But today we're going to talk generally about how you can help your children go through the crisis and how you can help yourself and your family and help your friends or anyone that you know that is going through a crisis. And the thing that's important and so valuable about this episode is because a crisis is unavoidable. It happens. It's life. Everyone dies eventually. So you will go through some forms of crisis many times in your life. It can be the loss of a job. That's another form of crisis. So that's why this episode is so important for us parents because it creates more stress and overwhelm in our life. And once we understand what are the steps, what's healthy, and when do we actually need to seek more help and support. So today I have an expert that will clarify everything and give you many different examples so you can understand and grasp exactly how to do it. So who is Barbara Coloroso? So she's a mother of three, a grandmother, and she has been doing this work, speaking internationally and writing many books. And she has four best-selling books. She's been doing this for more than 45 years. So she knows her stuff. And some of her books, which you might have heard of. So her best-selling books are 
Kids Are Worth It, Giving Your Child the Gift of Inner Discipline. Then we have the book Parenting Through Crisis, which we'll be talking a lot about today. So helping kids in times of loss, grief, and change. Then she's also written a book about the bully, the bullied, and the bystander from preschool to high school, how parents and teachers can help break the cycle of violence. And another best-selling book is Just Because It's Not Wrong Doesn't Make It Right, From Toddlers to Teens, Teaching Kids to Think and Act Ethically. She has two critically acclaimed video programs, so Winning at Parenting Without Beating Your Kids and Winning at Teaching Without Beating Your Kids. And what's fun about her is that she's witty, wise, compassionate, and she loves life and she loves to add humor. So believe it or not, there will be humor talking about crisis today. So it's not a dark and somber episode. It gives you hope and it will keep your mom journey inspired. She is an educational consultant for school districts, medical and business community, the criminal justice system, and other educational associations around the world. So Barbara has served as a classroom teacher, a school instructor, and university instructor. She's appeared on Oprah, on CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, NPR, and has been featured in the New York Times, Time, U.S. News and World Report, Newsweek, and other big national and international publications. Her uniquely effective parenting and teaching strategies were developed through her years of training in sociology, special education, and philosophy, as well as field tested through her experiences as a teacher And just because she is amazing, she's included, given you four free handouts to guide your parenting journey through different topics. So one for each of her best-selling books, I believe. And I will have those included on the website, citruslove.com slash episode 27. You'll have the bonus four handouts. So each one of them has a different topic. So there's one on parenting through crisis, one on bullying, one on parenting with wit and wisdom, and one on ethics. So it's a couple pages. Each handout gives you a summary of what she's teaching. So it breaks it down. So you just read it. And today's episode, we'll be talking about the handout, Parenting Through Crisis, what's included in that. So make sure to download those four free handouts on the website. If you enjoyed this episode, you find value in it, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Two, three, four, five stars. This will help the podcast to get ranked higher and get more listeners. And also more importantly, how to bring your strength back and your happiness and more joy being a mom and feeling good about yourself after having kids. So without further ado, let's listen in on our conversation. 
Welcome, Barbara. Thank you for taking the time to be on Citrus Love podcast today and for being so gracious with your time and flexible because my little kids are at home. So we're going to do this while they're here and see how it goes. So today we'll be focusing specifically on how we can parent through a crisis, through different crises. And for you listening, it's not going to be focused on COVID-19, this pandemic. It's something that we're going to be talking, generally speaking, that you can apply at any time during your life when you're faced with one of the many crises or challenges that we have in life because it happens. That's life, ups and downs. And one of the important thing is you had mentioned in one of your talk is usually we freeze and during a crisis, we, we don't always know what to do. So I just want to have this conversation with you today and kind of prepare the parents. Like if this happens, you've got this. These are some helpful steps and things and support system you can, can have. So welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Christiane. It's just a joy to be with you. And this is such an important topic anytime because all of us go through loss and crisis and grief during the, nor I, would, would I say, normal times? Because mm -hmm. it's certainly not normal. My book, Parenting Through Crisis, I talk about death and murder and suicide and illness and divorce and step families and foster families and mayhem in the community. And this was long before we were all dealing and we are universally dealing with COVID-19, which adds an additional layer of stress and loss and loss in so many different ways. But what we need to remember, no matter what we're going through, and I go back to in the good times. And for some of you, going back to the good times may be very difficult. But, you know, there's an old Sufi saying, this too will pass. Mm -hmm. But we forget the whole quote. It's in the good times and the bad, this too will pass. We have to remember when we're in those good times to take advantage of it, to seize the moment, and then to look during these rough times at those moments as well. So I talk about what I call the Tao of parenting. It's a Zen Buddhist term, which means a path. There is no one path for all of us to navigate through uh, the crises that we're in. But there is, um, an it's like an algebraic formula or an acronym. It doesn't mm -hmm. give you an answer, it gives you a path to the answer. So it's Tao, and that is spelled T-A-O. What our children need in the rough times is what they needed in the good times. Our time, our affection, and our sense of optimism. Our time. Parenting is not an efficient profession, as we all know, <laughs> who are trying to homeschool mm -hmm. and teaching effort from home as well. Uh, but they need time. And I'm not talking quality time that we always read about in the magazines where we say, kids, we're going to take a day off and we're going to go to the museum. And the kids says, I don't want to go. You're going. Invite your friends. We're going to have holiday time with the family. And then we get upset. No, we have to know that it's that hanging time. They're taking a moment during the daytime. Uh, one of my favorite commercials is a, a man under the sink fixing the plumbing. And his little one walks over and says, Dad, can I help? He said, no, this is a big people job. Then the little boy walks walks away with his head down and dad looks out and sees that. And the next scene is all four feet under the counter. Uh, did it take longer for dad to fix that plumbing? You bet. But child was involved. Mm -hmm. So 
basically looking around today and saying, what can my kids do to help? One of the best ways to heal from crisis is to help. Mr. Rogers had it right that in a crisis time, look for the helpers. And I want our children to understand that you can have that same good feeling by helping as well. So involving them, even though it's not efficient, um, taking that time to really recognize their body language. If you're on your phone and your teenager walks in, you say, how was your day? He says, fine. And his head is down and his voice is sad and you don't pursue that any further, he wasn't really saying, I'm fine, and meaning it. So one of the lines we can always use with our kids, I still, by the way, use it with my own kids who are now parenting through this themselves with our three wonderful grandkids. So to watch them all go through this and feeling so good that they're getting it. They're not doing it perfectly, but they're getting that their children need their time. And it's just hanging time, being their time and looking at the five ways we speak, our bodies, our face, our eyes, our tone of voice, and what we actually say. Only 20% of what we're communicating to our kids is done with words. The other 80% is what our body's doing when those words are being spoken or not spoken. Mm-hmm. And I use the example uh, for educators about the teacher who didn't like third grade boys. And one of the boys nailed her on it. So you don't like third grade boys. And she said, that's not true. I like third grade boys. And the little boy looked back up and said, would you tell your face that then? So what is our face reading to our kids? And what message are we sending? They need our time make special times. In the good times, it's helpful if you already have a ritual and traditions like Wednesday night pizza or um, Friday movie time, mm-hmm. just cause, not because you earned it. Not, I'm not into having kids earn those kinds of things. We need to know that we can make memories in the good times that our kids can fall back on in the rough times and know that it's normal. When a family has been brought to their knees in grief, it's so important that our friends and our neighbors know what our rituals and traditions are. So if you can't even get out of bed because of a major loss you've experienced, your neighbor would know that Friday night is pizza night and order it in for you. And that's ways we can help one another is knowing one another and knowing those rituals and traditions. And if you didn't have any before this, start making them now. And kids will have some good memories from this time. So they need our time. They need our affection, a smile, a hug, and humor. And Mm. during times of crisis, that is so difficult when we just are upset or angry ourselves or our kids are upset. And you might have a teenager right now who's not going through graduation. Yeah. (laughs) Or not going to prom. (laughs) And uh, these are rough times. Uh, Or you have a little one who wants desperately to meet up with his little preschool friends and can't understand why we're doing drive-through birthdays um, (laughs) kind of thing. And so we need to have humor. Now, some of that during a time of crisis, no matter what the crisis is, may be gallows humor. A few years ago, a a 12-year-old boy lost both of his parents in a plane crash in the Everglades. And of course, no bodies were recovered. And a year later, uh, reporters were asking how he was dealing with this. And he took a deep breath and he said, well, I just keep reminding myself that those alligators got first-class food when they got my parents. And they were like gasps. But you know what? That's how he was getting through. Mm-hmm. with that kind of humor. So you got to understand that your kids may make up some humor that will just take you back <laughs> and you go, oh my. And, and, and especially those of you who are raising seven to 10 year olds, 
because they just want the facts, man. Give me the facts. <laughs> uh, it's just part of in laws that that's a typical thing for that age. So they want all those facts. Does this mean that humor, like any type of humor is okay? Because I mean, some people can have the sarcastic humor. Others, it's really funny. Very different. I'm glad you brought that up. Sarcasm has no place in the good times or the rough time. When all the other kids, everyone's laughing, but one girl's crying, we were just teasing her. Mm -hmm. All the boys are laughing, one boy's uh, fighting back tears. We were just teasing him. You know what I say to them? You lie, you lie, you lie. And then the parents say, you said my son lied, he did. He was taunting. And it's very important for us as adults to recognize the difference. And it's very difficult today in such a toxic political climate mm -hmm. that we're Experiencing in my own country. I live in the U.S., but also in other places as well. So let's look at the difference because you have siblings at home 24-7 right now, and um, it's okay for them to laugh with one another. It's never okay for them to laugh at one another. Teasing is laughing with, taunting is laughing at. So teasing is mutual. I can laugh with you, and you can laugh with me. And you might be better at verbal teasing, but I'm better at finding those birthday candles that don't blow out. Mm. So as you're trying to huff and puff those candles, we're both laughing. Yeah. So it's critical to understand that when we're both laughing, it's teasing with. And we need that kind of humor. It's never mocking humor. It's never sarcasm. A satire, yes. And, and your teenagers, those reaching 13, 14, 15, get very good at that. And you just want to do this little quick checklist about, is it really satire or is it sarcasm? Satire, again, we're laughing with one another. Uh, and sarcasm is laughing at someone. You and I with the birthday candles, but if I were going to be mean to you, I would make sure I got birthday candles that blew up in your face mm. and messed up your makeup and then take a picture and post it on Instagram. That's mean and cruel. So, yeah. Um, and teasing, it's intended uh, to get both parties to laugh. It's lighthearted, clever, and benign. In taunting, it's laughing at, but it's also bigoted comments thinly disguised as jokes, often accompanied by just joking or laugh out loud. In teasing, it's only a small part of our relationship. Your children shouldn't be teasing one another all day. I mean, they get seriously involved in activities. They even have conflicts, and conflicts are normal. Targeting somebody is not. Being mean and cruel to somebody, whether it's verbal or physical, is never okay. There is such a thing as sibling bullying, and we need to be aware of that. So in taunting, again, um, we use these comments that are meant to cut at the quick of a, a human being's uh, well-being. Mm -hmm. In teasing, it's only a small part. In taunting, it is my relationship with you. If you find you have a, a child at home who's constantly digging at another sibling, it's easy to get on one another's nerves, and we need to give one another space. But if they're constantly digging, we have to say, no more, not here, never. That was mean. That was cruel. So we need to deal with that right there. Also in teasing, it stops as soon as the other person objects. Yeah. Have you ever, as an adult, uh, said something, it was the wrong time, wrong place, just didn't come out right? <laughs> uh, we all made those mistakes, but we read the other person's body language and a tear starts in their eye. What do you do? You stop. What do people who are mean and cruel do? They keep going. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. We have lighthearted humor. 
Some of it will be gallows humor. And as they get a little bit older and they have uh, the power of the language. And you you live in a beautiful place, Montreal, which mm-hmm. I love. And it's a bilingual community. Mm-hmm. And so kids will even mix up some of the words purposely or inadvertently that you'll just crack up and laugh. And, and they can get it through. And because in the French language, there are words that convey something bigger than in the English language and vice versa. So you may have that experience as well. And, and for the many home listening in today, if you are a bilingual family, bravo. Uh, but you will also see that some of the humor that you'll be cracking up with is a mixing of the two mm-hmm. And yeah. celebrate that and enjoy <laughs> that. Uh, they need our affection more than ever when kids are experiencing a crisis. Now they may, especially if they're a little bit older, not want you giving them a hug. But there are little things you can do: a wink, you know, a high five, uh, kind of thing. Helping them create funny masks because we're all mm-hmm. wearing masks. And yeah. It, you know, trying to make it pleasant, but also recognize there's a time to cry. There is a time to be sad. Uh, and it is okay to cry. But one of the things you're going to notice, especially with kids from seven on up, is the need to get back to normal in a rough time. I lived in Littleton, Colorado during our our school shooting at, at Columbine. And I had relatives in that building and relatives on the SWAT team. And, and a, a week or so later, some of the students were saying, when are we going to write our final exams? And people would shake their heads, but I got it. They wanted normal again. A final exam is some normal. (laughs) Give me some normal in this rough time. And sometimes they may attend grandpa's funeral and then say, can I go to the dance tonight? And you go, wow, I thought you really loved your grandpa when he came. (laughs) They need normal. Death is not normal to them, even though it is a part of our life. Uh, So we need to, to recognize that they do need some normal. And that's where that pizza on Wednesdays or movie on Fridays will help them see a little bit of normal. Mm -hmm. They need our time. They need our affection. They also need our sense of optimism. Now, I am not talking rose-colored optimism, especially Mm -hmm. today. I mean, but during any time of great loss, what I'm talking about is what Viktor Frankl, a death camp survivor, called tragic optimism, that when you have been brought to your knees in grief, can you get up in the morning, fix your children breakfast, say, we're going to get through this. We will get through this. And that means that sometimes things give. Like, what's wrong with staying in your jammies all day sometimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's okay. It's okay to feel the feelings that we're feeling. What we want to watch out for is the frequency, the duration, and the intensity of a feeling. If the frequency that we're, we're sad all the time, that's not healthy. The intensity of the feeling, are you totally wiped out to where there is no way you can function? Then we need help. Mm-hmm. And if it goes on for a long extended period of time, when grieving is no longer good morning, then we need to say we need help. It's okay. What's so wonderful today is we're realizing that in this interconnected world that we can use online therapy. We can get help from reputable people. And it's all right. I have three kids. And during the teen years, we had some problems with one of our kids. And I called a dear friend who was a therapist who I often referred people to and said to him, Stephen, I need some help with our teenager. He said, oh, Barb, you know how to handle it. I said, no, we don't. (laughs) I don't care what my career is. We need some help. And he got us in touch with a wonderful woman that my, my daughter really felt comfortable with. And we had to sit through some rough times listening 
listening to some of the things that bothered her as a middle child and like we had to listen and you need to recognize no matter what your career is no matter how you didn't feel so vulnerable raising kids makes you vulnerable in in a time of great loss and it's okay to reach out and say i need some help those of you listening today are listening for ideas and we need ideas and we need also to know that normal is a little different right now and it's okay and anytime there's a loss uh being diagnosed with a major illness um the interesting thing during this time of covid 19 is life is still going on people are still dying and not from covid 19 necessarily people are still being diagnosed with major illnesses including your own children and so those are times we need to deal with the loss. People are still deciding that this is probably not the best time, but is there ever best time to say oh, we can't live together? Uh, we are now dealing with people who are saying, I, I'm a grandma and I did a drive-by birthday. Uh, and two of my grandchildren had COVID-19 birthdays. Uh, and uh, I, I managed to do all that, but then broke down crying, you know, because it's different. Mm -hmm. it, but uh, you know the the smile and not not being close with us at risk and and certainly not wanting to put our grandchildren at risk and are the humor talk about humor our middle grandchild who just turned eleven in a COVID nineteen birthday helped make his own cake I have always made uh, the birthday cakes for the grandkids and tried to teach them how to do it and well it was his time this time he put a mask on his birthday cake. And a little gallows humor there, <laughs> a reminder. Um, and so we could all laugh, but it was also a time to say, yeah, that's what he's going through. And what can we do to make this special? And so uh, we need to take care of ourselves and we need to be sure that we are tuned into what's going on today in our children's lives. Mm -hmm. So that time affection, sense of optimism. Now, how do you deal in the good times? with the little adversities that hit us, will give your kids a clue as to how optimistic you are in the rough times. Now, I got stuck in Winnipeg on my way to uh, the Paw Manitoba, which is in the middle of nowhere, which if you're an optimist is halfway to everywhere. Um, and uh, the plane can't get in, there's a blizzard. We're not getting a new plane in for eight hours. Now, some of those people ranted and raved for eight hours. Some hit the bar for eight hours, some read a good book for eight hours. All three groups got on that very same plane eight hours later. Some were still angry, ready to throttle the pilot, which would have made us later. Some after eight hours in a bar weren't sure and didn't care if they were on a plane, and some had read a good book. I ask you, when's the last time as a parent anybody gave you eight hours of uninterrupted time to read a good book? Mm -hmm. You know, it's our point of view. Okay, what we have to look at is what's the reality and what's the problem? see, I often said in my parenting workshops, there's no problem so great it can't be solved. Now, I didn't say there's no problem so great you can't solve it alone because we're all in this together. We are interdependent, interrelated, and interconnected as human beings, as uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said. And so how are we going to relate through this time and what can we do? And so how optimistic are we in, in this rough time? We will get through this. So there's no problem so great it can't be solved. It can't be solved. It's not a problem. It's a reality. Mm. That little brother of yours is real. He's not going away. He's not going anyplace. He's new to the house and he's real. Because <laughs> there may be some of those little ones who aren't real happy about the new addition to the family. And those things are happening during this crazy time too. We got a new baby, but then the kids aren't going to preschool. And mm -hmm. we go, oh my goodness. And we just have to say, uh, we will get through this. So how you handle an, an adversity and recognize what are the problems that come with this adversity and what's the reality? The reality is 
So we have to accept that as much as we want to say, I, I wish it weren't true and the like. When uh, one of our daughters was diagnosed with cancer, who, by the way, is quite fine, but she was diagnosed three weeks before she was an adult, which meant she was in the children's ward, which we were grateful for. Those doctors were amazing. And she is now uh, a parent herself and has a, an 11-year-old, wow. our grandson, who had the COVID birthday. Um, <laughs> But she is doing quite fine now. But when she was diagnosed, the very first thing we say is one of those passages of grief is, oh, no. Yeah. Um, uh, and we'll talk about those passages in a bit because all of us go through them in all different times of grief. But the reality was she has cancer. When people would say to us, um, we're praying that the diagnosis is not cancer. And I said, don't bother. Whatever went into that lab is what it really is already. Nothing's going to change that. What you, if you want to pray for us, pray that we have the strength to get through whatever it is. Mm, love that. Yeah. That's what we need to accept is that we need the strength to get through this kid. We are going to get through this. And that was a message. And she happened to also be our most optimistic kid. And <laughs> he sometimes pulled us along. But, you know, uh, it's, it's that sense of th this is real. This is what's happening. Now, what can we do to get through this? So if you look at what the reality is and then the problem, if you look at COVID-19, this is real. This is a deadly virus. I always marvel at social distancing. We don't want social distancing. We want physical distancing. We need to still say social. Yeah, uh, that's true. They should change. <laughs> yes, it should not be social distancing. No, social means we interact with one another and the way we're doing right here, you know, it's so important to connect with one another. And we do Zoom with our kids and our grandkids. We had a, a Zoom Easter where we all <laughs> talked to one another and the beauty of it, we could all see one another and see the antics that the cousins were doing with one another. It was just delightful. Um, so it is not social distancing, but the reality is we need physical distancing. Uh, that's the reality. Now, how do we make that work? But as a family, we've got to discuss. So you think, what's the reality? What's the problem? You'll have more power if you can think in those terms. Uh, the reality is I lost my job. The reality is um, mom and dad are getting a divorce. The reality is a child has been diagnosed with a significant illness. The reality is grandpa has died. Now, what are the problems that come with that? If you can think in that framework, it will help you not only um, intellectually, but emotionally to be able to say, okay, we can get through this. So it's that time, affection, and a sense of optimism that are so critical. I have a question because I was surprised how much you focus on life is good. You know, there's tough times, but life is good. And you talk about optimism, affection, humor. And I was not expecting that from a book about uh, how to deal with crisis. And I'm curious to know, how did you get this, this part? I mean, in your life, have you always been a true optimist and humor has always been part of your life? And for you, it was your natural way of dealing with a crisis? Not totally. Life experience helps. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest life experiences that I had, other than the, all the trials and tribulations of my own children, is I once said to one of your uh, most wonderful human beings in Canada, Stephen Lewis, who has the Stephen Lewis Foundation uh, with AIDS in Africa, I said to him once, is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> Don't ask him that. You'll end up in Africa. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I was uh, so grateful 
for that experience. So I worked in Rwanda with orphans from the 1994 genocide, where in 100 days, almost a million human beings were macheted to death. And I worked with the orphans from that genocide and to look at their spirit and to talk with them and to be there to support them, but also to look at their resilience and to be able to say to them, we're going to get through this together. I'm here to give what I can give, and I know you can do this. And how many years ago was that? 1994 was the genocide. Mm -hmm. And this Monday, uh, one of those young orphans who is now a father of two will be a father of three. The baby should be born on Monday. And I was just corresponding with him again. And, I, and, and there were so many of them that still correspond with me to see that their life has gone on. And I said to them, the genocidaires did not win, that you thrived through this. Not because of it. You don't ever want to find good in a genocide. But what you do find is that you can make a choice. You can thrive through this or you can let it kill you. And then the genocidaires have won. So those experiences in my life have reaffirmed to me. And I had my youngest, I have three, Anna Marie and Joe, and our youngest had been in a um, motorcycle accident and had some minor injury, uh, and he's an artist, but it affected his left arm and stuff, and he's left-handed. And he was having pity parties. And so I took him to Rwanda. And he was also an EMT, and he was going to teach art to the kids. Well, they used him in the hospital instead, and the clinic. And uh, he came back home from that experience, grateful, and never had another pity party uh, with uh, overusing alcohol and the like, because he saw these people walking hours to get to the clinic and getting care and seeing so little, and what little he did do they were so grateful for. Gratitude is so critical in times of loss. So I, I probably was always a half glass full person, but going through the rough times as we all do with raising our children, and then that wonderful opportunity with Stephen Lewis, I'm, I'm grateful for that mm-hmm. and to see uh, the, the connections. And of course, these children have, as they grew older, have experienced other tragedies in their life, but it's a matter of where they're with them. Are we connected to other human beings? When we are connected, even in bullying scenarios, I always say to the kid who's been targeted, what are you doing to help yourself heal? But I was the one targeted. I said, exactly. Are you working in a soup kitchen? Are you helping at Habitat for Humanity? Are you um, helping in a vet clinic, washing dogs? You know, what Mm -hmm. are you doing to help? Because when you help others, there are three basic things we need to do every day. Care deeply, share generously, help willingly. And starting with the youngest of the young, when they want to help, which is when it's least efficient, to let them help will help them feel good about themselves. They recognize they have agency in their life, that what they do matters. And that's so important because it will also help them when that high status social bully says to all the other girls in grade eight, I don't like the new girl. You want to be in my group? Don't eat lunch with her. I want your daughter to be the one to say, that's mean. That's cruel. And have the courage, and by the way, it does take tremendous courage, to go sit next to the new girl, because she will do that at cost. It's not going to be pleasant. Uh, oh, Miss Giddy Two-Shoes, or your next, or your son, when he's in the locker room and other kids are ripping um, a, another kid apart because of his race, or religion, or gender, or physical, or mental ability, the big fight for hate crimes. What makes a hate crime a hate crime different than other crimes? It's criminal bullying. Let's go mess him up. I want your son to be the one to say no. When the burden's heavy, when his friends say, what are you, chicken? What do you just like him? No. But where does that start? 
giving your child the opportunity every single day to make choices and decisions in their life. Uh, to not be so hyper-organized that your children don't have any freedom of movement during this crazy time, to help them establish their own schedules. And to be able to say to you, you know what, I just need a break today. Okay, what do you want to do for a break? If it's not life-threatening, morally threatening, or unhealthy, <laughs> let them make that decision. Now, if they say, I want to go out in the street and have a bunch of friends over, you say, mm -mm, mm -mm, nope, yeah. nope, nope, that's life-threatening right now, can't do that. But let's come up with something else, I'm sure you can, because kids need to hear that, yes, we're open, and we don't say no all the time. We use the mm -hmm. alternative, no, yes, later, give me a minute, or convince me, and then when you really need to say no, you can say no. You're talking about when the parent or the mother needs a break that you let your child say, okay, what do you want to do and do it? Oh, if I need a break, I can say, you know what, kids, I need a break. <laughs> that gives them permission to say to you sometimes, you know what, mom, I need a break. Okay. You see, our modeling is so important that we take care of ourselves during rough times. Many listeners know that I used to be a nun years ago, obviously no longer a nun. And no, I didn't marry a priest. And yes, I met him after I left the convent. So <laughs> all the Catholic questions for the day. Um, but when I was a nun, my novice directress talked to us about the fact that when she was young, her brother died of a very uh, virulent virus. And it was very sudden. And it was her younger brother. And mom went to bed and stayed in bed. And the older sister was always having to take care of the younger sister while they were going through this time. And finally, the older one walked in and shook mom and said, Mom, our brother's dead, but we're still alive and we need you. And you know what? We need to know that we can grieve, we can take breaks, but we also, if again, the intensity of our feelings of loss and the frequency and the duration and all of that matters. And if we need help, get help. It's okay to reach out today. I'm really worried about my job. You don't have to say that to the 10 year old. They don't need that kind of grief right now. But I'm really worried to be able to call a friend up to Zoom someone and say, you know, I'm really concerned. And for somebody to be able to say, okay, let's look at ways that you can get through this mm -hmm. and we can help you. It's okay. And you know, um, With the little ones, you need to be able to say to them, I'm sad right now. Mommy's sad or daddy's sad. Or um, I'm a little scared and this is what I'm going to do to deal with my scaredness. <laughs> and to show them that we can identify a feeling, that feelings are real. They're not good or bad. They're real. And mm -hmm. here's how we're going to get through mm -hmm. them. And you said life is good. I do have that mantra. But I also have the other two phrases that go with this. Life is unfair and it hurts. So life is unfair. It hurts and it's very, very good. It's all three of those. And if we can keep that in perspective when we're going through the good times, then we will be more uh, grateful for those good times. A sense of gratitude never hurt any of us. But it also, in the rough times, we will have surrounded ourselves with people who we have supported, who will be right there to support you. When I got a phone call from one of the young boys who had been orphaned in the genocide, he was checking. He knew where we lived. And we right now have the second highest death rate in our state. And he was very concerned for us to be thinking of us during this rough time. But it's the human connections we have made with one another mm -hmm. that Well, I can celebrate that, you know, they're going to have a new baby and I can also live with the reality here. But now that someone has reached out to me as well, we need that. Yeah. So life is unfair, it hurts, and it's very, very good. 
I love how you you said during moments of grief or uh, crisis that for parents, they should have groups and to connect with people with similar experience, but kids as well. It's not always up to the parents to take care of them. The kids should also connect with other people. Yes, it's, it's so important that we allow them. And that's one of my concerns as an educator with some of our young people in uh, communities where they cannot connect inter with internet. And you think, oh my goodness, I just did this today. Like there are places in both Canada and the US and throughout the world that do not have inter internet connection. Mm -hmm. um, or young people who don't have cell phones in their home. And I know some great people like the Gates Foundation, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, are <laughs> making sure that's available. There are some people in other communities giving iPads to children in school. But that connection is so critical. My grandson, who lives here, and my granddaughter and grandson, who live in Seattle, look forward now to hearing from their teacher. They don't have school on Mondays. So There's planning time for teachers. And they actually, once the, the, the youngest logged in, oh, she's not here. Oh, it's Monday. They actually, you know, they may complain about school, but they <laughs> That human connection other than just mom or dad. So to make connections, older people in the community, to make sure that they have somebody reaching out and say, is there anything you need? Mm -hmm. um, um, I want to go back to caring deeply, sharing generously, and helping willingly. These, by the way, are the three antidotes to the most virulent agents that can rip apart the fabric of our humanity. The three H's, hating other people with utter contempt, hoarding me, mine, and more instead of us, ours, and enough, mm -hmm. and harming through lying and cheating and stealing. What's wrong with that? First of all, it destroys our relationship with others, and that in turn destroys community. So what would be the antidotes? To care deeply, share generously, and help willingly. So if every day with your littlest ones at home, to show them how you care deeply. Now, caring deeply doesn't mean you always like them. In some of my working <laughs> audiences, I would say, how many of you have a teenager? And they'd raise their hand. I said, how many of you don't like your teenager right now? And some stick that hand right up again. <laughs> and others say, oh, no, 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 no. Politically, politically correct. I don't like his behavior. Uh -huh. I said, oh, no, you don't like him. You don't want to go home tonight. <laughs> you love them deeply. Mm -hmm. There's a time when we're all in this close togetherness where we're not going to like our kid. And we love them deeply. Mm -hmm. If they got in trouble, we'd be right there. Uh, we'd get down and put our arms around him and say, we love you. You're in trouble. We know you can handle it. Brutalist, the lawyers, we think might take your case. Good luck, buddy. But you're there for them. They need to know that through the rough times, we will be there for them. Now, we may not like what they're doing, and we may not even like them right now. And there's a time to say, you know what? I'm going to go lock myself up in my room. <laughs> I'm having a difficult time with everybody right now. And, and then you might see your, your son or daughter a few days later saying, I'm going to go lock myself in my room because I don't like anybody right now. It's okay, <laughs> as long as you love us deeply. And if we're in trouble, you'll help us out. And of course they would. Mm. You know, I watch siblings having conflict, but if, if there's an external force that's attacking them, whether it's a peer or some illness or some tragedy, they're right there for one another. And that's what we want to see. So the antidote to hating, hoarding, and harming is care deeply. Doesn't mean you have to like them, I say to my own students. You don't have to like every kid in this classroom, but you must honor their humanity. Caring deeply means that must to relieve their suffering and wishing them well, which is what we must do with one another 
today and it's so desperately needed um, to care deeply about one another. Share generously. Uh, and you say that my kids are fighting over the toys that they never play with anyway. But as soon as the other one takes on it, normal. And uh, sometimes we need to say, you know what? Little break here. Uh, why don't you each go find something that you want to do alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, share generously and help willingly. I can't emphasize how important it is that we give our kids the opportunity to help. It makes them feel good. James Natway, a wonderful uh, war photographer, Canadian, said, do good because good is good to do. Mm, uh, the, the, that. When kids do good, whether it's making hearts for um, healthcare workers today or uh, helping uh, sew a mask for a younger brother or sister, doing something, uh, cooking a meal, helping with a meal. Mm-hmm. The littlest ones can get up on a little stool and help with a meal or almond butter on carrots and celery. Uh, I, I had suggested stuffing uh, celery and one little kid said, but I like carrots. All right, peanut butter on carrots, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Make it work. Um, being open to, and, and letting them help out and saying, you know, we really need to keep these countertops clean. Would you help me wipe them? Now, you may go through with the, the Clorox one after they've done it, or you might sweep through it first and then they wipe it, but giving them a way that they can feel helpful. You feel better about yourself and you have more of a connection with other human beings. Mm, so carefully, so share generously, help willingly. Now, one of the things is we want to look at the passages of grief. Yes, um, I wanted to no matter, talk about that. No matter what's happening to us, we're all going to go through passages. Now, uh, Kubler-Ross did a great service to those who were dying of cancer, listing her stages. The problem is other people took that and made concrete steps out of them. Like if you've already gone through this stage, you can't go back. Yes, you can. So I talk about three passages of grief. The first is the oh no of it all. And that is the shock. Whenever we are faced with some kind of major loss, be it a death or uh, the death of an, in, because of suicide, which is so complicated, or if it's a, a long-term illness or a chronic illness or an acute illness that strikes the family, or if it's uh, the COVID virus hitting an entire world community, we're going to have the shock of the oh no of it all. And that lasts about seven days, if we're really honest with ourselves. Uh, and it's like when your mom dies, you think, oh, I've got to call her and ask. Oh, no, I can't. Now, will that ever not come back again? Oh, my mom's been dead for two years, and I was very close to her. It was her birthday, and I thought, oh, I always sent my mother a rose on, on my birthday, and then on her birthday to celebrate our connection. And I w- just out of the blue, two years later, I was thinking about that. So you've got to know mm-hmm. that the passages aren't, well, we're done with this. No, a song can bring it back, uh, the oh no of it all. So that it's during that time that you're in shock. And that enables you to do things you never would have done before. I mean, how can you in your right mind buy a coffin for a child? Mm-hmm. Nobody in their right mind could do that. And so you have to be in shock to be able to get through the, that rough time. And the oh no gives us an opportunity, uh, okay, this is what needs to be done. So we have the first passage. And then we have the second, which can last six months uh, to two years. The Navajos have a saying, 
that if there is a massive loss, a catastrophic loss, or multiple losses all at the same time, that it may take uh, two times four seasons. That's two years. Wow to get through. Now, what's intense sorrow? Everything, even the good times, are colored with a steel-cold gray. Even a COVID-19 birthday has a grayness about it. Even in the, the, the smile and the humor of it all, there's still a grayness to it. There was that not being able to connect with your peers and the like. So to honor that. So that intense sorrow can, can last for six months to um, two years. The third is a wonderful passage. It's sadness that has been joined with the joy of getting on with life. How do you know you're in that third passage? Doesn't feel bad to feel good. And you're ready to get on with your own life. The Irish have a a tradition that uh, you don't put the grave marker up for a year. Why? Because then you will have gone through all the different anniversaries, the celebrations without that person. And now it's time to put that to rest. Mm. Doesn't mean you don't have the memory of them and the like, but it it says that uh, we can celebrate life, the joy. And you'll find your children maybe pulling you through that a little bit. But come on, mom, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. It's okay for your kids to comfort you, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to say we're going to get through this. So if you, if you can recognize the piercing grief of the oh no of it all, the, uh, the intense sorrow and the sadness. Now, you say, okay, I'm now with joy getting on with life. Well, a song <laughs> can bring you back to number one. <laughs> or another loss in your life can bring you back to that loss. So what happens then? It, you go back to one phase, but do you have to go through the three? No, it, I'll give you an example. A young uh, boy who had uh, a rare form of leukemia was in remission. And he and his dad had talked about the passages of grief. And he got to the point in his teen years where he had this sadness, but the joy of getting on with his own life. And then he went back into the leukemia. And he said to his dad, Dad, will I ever reach that third passage again? And his dad said it could be quicker. And it can be quicker. And that maybe that momentary, you know, on my mother's birthday, March 2nd, there was that sense of real loss and grief that I can't call her and share this with her. And then there's that gratefulness that I'm glad you didn't die in the care center and during COVID-19 when you couldn't see them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but I also very quickly moved to the good times with her and thinking about the good times. It's interesting that one of my grandchildren, who was very close to her, she taught him to make rice pudding. And he said to, to me, we're making rice pudding today. He just needed that, you know. Uh, and it was a positive, joyful memory of grandma. Uh, his great grandma. So uh, yes, the passages will uh, come and go, but I want you to remember that your children can pull you out of them as well. They'll be moving maybe more quickly. Depends on the relationship to the person and uh, their age. You know, children grieve in different ways at different stages. And so we need to be cognizant of that with our children. In Nova Scotia, there was a family whose son had died in a car accident. And Uh, they had to tell their other children the next morning that their brother had died. So how do you make those kinds of things? Well, it's a very easy formula, but doesn't make it, I mean, it's simple, but it doesn't make it easy. You give the headline first, you give the facts, and then you be present to your children for what they need. And so they said, your brother died in a car accident on the way home last night. That's the headline and the facts. And then they waited. Their teenager was angry. 
which is very common in times of great loss. You might have some very angry teenagers at home right now. Teenagers, uh, you know, were, he was angry. He was angry at his mom for telling his brother to come home from college. He was angry at the, the state patrol. He was angry at the curb in the road. He was angry at the ambulance driver. He was angry. Mm -hmm. The 10-year-old wanted to know how he died, when the funeral would be. He wanted the facts. Give me the facts, man. The five-year-old put his arm around his mother and said, Mom, when he's done being dead, he'll be back. Mm. You know, because the five-year-old understood dead is not forever <laughs> in his mind. So you've got to know that it depends on their ages and stages, their relationships with other human beings, their own dispositions. You asked me if I was always optimistic. I grieve like others grieve. I remind myself, though, uh, in my moments of calm, and I think that's something we all have to take every day, and I am grateful. My father used to say, sit down, shut up, and get to like yourself when things would go wrong. Now, when I went to the convent, I learned a, a different kind of meditation, but both of those have helped me in good stead. Mm. When things are going crazy. Sit down, shut up, and get to like yourself. And think, <laughs> you know what? I've got the strength. We can get through this. None of us are going to get through any loss alone. Yeah. The, to what you just shared, the headlines, the facts, and be present for your kid. Can that apply for any form of crisis? Yes. I love that because it's simple to remember and to do. The hardest is to do is the hardest. Yeah. Uh, what we tend to do is we try to explain, we try to soften the blow, uh, yeah. you know, it's not so bad. And then they hear otherwise and then they don't believe you. Yeah. Well, you give the headline the facts and then you be present to them for what they need. And you may be surprised what they may need. You're telling your kids you're getting a divorce and And one of them hugs you and says, we'll get through this together. They're a little bit older. And the younger one says, uh, but who's going to take care of the dog? Uh, who's going to take me to soccer? And you go, well, that doesn't matter. that's what they need right now is to know who's going to take them to soccer. And we thought they're going to worry about a whole lot of other things. So we need to be tuned into what they need at the moment. You know, we have this big virus going around and, and, um, Uh, we have to stay inside, uh, not only for ourselves, remind them this is not that the physical distancing is not just for us. The putting on the mask is not just for us. It's so that we can help keep others safe. So that when they put that mask on, they don't say, I don't like this. It confines me. When you're saying to them, you are helping others. You're helping that older woman down the street. You're helping grandma and grandpa, you're helping the, the other classmate of yours who is at higher risk than you are. So thank you. You know, we praise kids too much. We don't thank them enough. Mm. <laughs> we need to thank them. Thank you for helping me get through today. I love uh, that. You know, that kind of thing. I want to ask you to share a story that you shared in one of your talks when your brother-in-law passed away and you took oh. your nephews and nieces Yes. My niece and my nephew were the same. Uh, one was a little bit older. And uh, when my brother-in-law died, um, they were having a big Italian gathering, uh, which sometimes can be very traumatic. And I had all five kids, my two, three, and my niece and my nephew. And before we went to the home, we uh, went to a movie a Disney movie. And then we sang songs uh, on the way down there, which shocked some of the relatives uh, that this is their dad who is dead. Now, it's, it was a hard loss for them. It was a reality. But what do you do when you've got children? And, and, and I, want to, I don't want them to feel bad about having fun. 
in their own lives because life is good too for them. It's it hurt mm -hmm. and it's not fair that their dad died. But then in February, my nephew, one of the, the kids uh, died very suddenly. And uh, my niece and I went back and we made preparations for the funeral and my kids joined us then. And my niece said to me, Aunt Barb, do you remember what you did when my dad died? And I said, yes. And she said, well, you take my two girls. And I, we had our grandson with us too. My two girls and your grandson out while we, my kids and she, get ready for the uh, celebration of life. And uh, we went to the Harley Davidson Museum because that's where the kids wanted to go. <laughs> and they had a great meal and they enjoyed going through that. And then we went to the celebration because there's a time that, you know, life, life is good and we will get through this. And we talked about uh, their uncle uh, while we were having a meal in the Harley Davidson Cafe and uh, about the good times. And, and I also shared with them that this is what I had done with your mom and your uncle when their dad died. And then they were asking about uh, questions about their grandfather and, and the like. So it was, um, it was bittersweet and, you know, still life is good. It's unfair that their uncle died so young. And, um, it's sad. So we can have the, all of those emotions at the same time. And so I think there is a time we say, okay, what can we do to help these young people get through this in a good way? I think this is the one thing I'll always remember for, from our discussion, because when I grew up, I went to funerals. Like my, I mean, my mom, not love going, but we would, we would go to tons of funerals when I was young. And my mom showed us that we were getting together with the community, meeting up with friends, having lunch together, but never, ever, I would have thought of doing this, like um, having fun before or after, because most people I see they're they're grieving and everything serious and sad. That really hit me when I heard that from you because I I didn't think it was okay to do it, it this okay. way. It is okay. It is okay to laugh. It's okay to have gallows humor. I, during this COVID-19, just before it was identified in New York, I'm from originally from New York. My cousin's husband at almost 90 died in a hospital. She was there with him. And uh, we had his funeral. Uh, they were Jewish and it was, they do it very quickly, but they had people come together for Shiva and the like. There was the rituals and the traditions. And now, uh, when I called her to see how she's doing, she's on Staten Island. They've had a lot of deaths there. She said, I thank Phil every day for dying before COVID. <laughs> you know? And we can laugh, but it's also a way for her to, to deal with this, this sudden loss of a spouse that she's had for so many years, um, is that you know, we could have the funeral. And that's one of the saddest things today, is all those rituals and tradition, as so many people have to forego right now and do it differently. Mm -hmm. But I say, you know what? Those passages of grief are going to still be there. 
and we need to help one another. And whether it's a Zoom funeral, who who would ever thought of a Zoom funeral? Mm-hmm. You know, but the need to connect to one another. Your mother knew that people needed other people around them who remind. You know, it was so important for my cousin to have people who knew Phil for so many years come by and tell stories. It was so important for my nephew when he had his celebration of life for us to see all the people share memories. We just have to do it differently right now. And I go back to Rwanda. They were not able to mourn their families in the same way. And so we had to look at other creative ways to acknowledge the deaths, the horrific deaths in a genocide, and then to also say that we'll get through this. We are going to get through this and we have to do things and make it different. And today we're looking at disparity um, it culturally, economically, socially, and we have to say, okay, can we come out of this and be better people? Not because of it, but we've been through it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something else I want to touch upon. It's what to say when you're someone from the outside and you want to reach out to the family that's dealing with with a crisis. You say that there are things we shouldn't say and and that we should offer them options. Again, I'm going to go back to a Jewish tradition sitting Shiva. One of the guidelines for that is you do not say anything to the grieving person until they talk which means you may sit in silence for a while and silence is okay. But the reason for that is that you will know where they want to come from. Do they want to talk about the last few hours of somebody's life or the last few days or few months? Or do they want to talk about the past and the good times and the good things about this person? You would not know that if you come right in right away and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. No, just be quiet and be present and find out what they need. But then if you're going to say, oh, if you need anything, just call me. No. Say, I make a big plate of uh, lasagna. It's enough to feed an army. Uh, Can I bring a tray over? And they might say, well, you know what? We have five trays already. (laughs) And then I would say, okay, let me think of something else. And just little things like not needing the dish back. Can you Mm. put something they don't need to give you back? And remember who, nothing to put strain on them. Uh, to check in with them, and, but to give them options. Well, I have lasagna, but I also have a Thai meal I can fix. Are there any of those that appeal to you? And the same cousin who buried her husband, I was talking to her on the phone and she got a phone call. Uh, I mean, the doorbell rang and she went to the door and she came back and she said, our favorite restaurant that we always love to go to just delivered some food, but I don't know who it came from. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards, I got a phone call back from her. She said, I called the restaurant and they pick six people who have always come to their restaurants on a regular basis and send them food. It was the restaurant saying, you matter to us. And she was so grateful because she's now eating alone. And she said, okay, well, we got two meals for each of us. That's four. So we'll freeze them. Um, But you know, that, that, that restaurant would do that. There are lots of different ways we can help one another. And we need to in, in the rough times. And another thing that you had mentioned for parents is when someone says, I'll take your kids out for the after, well, maybe not today, I'll take, right now. <laughs> no, but I'll take your kids out, can come over, sleep overnight, like things like that for parents to help uh, out. But also, it's okay. You know, there, there's so many places today. So, uh, you know, I'm physically distancing from my grandkids, all three of them. 
but there's ways that I can Zoom with them and give their parents a little bit of a break. Uh, as we tour um, a site with all of the museums uh, that our kids, I have hauled my kids to, my grandkids to, the Washington Zoo, all have trips you can take to view the animal. Uh, there's nature films, and, and I send them to the family, but I also don't want to overwhelm them, and I'll just call the kids up and say, let's watch. Gives mom and dad a break, mm -hmm. because grandma's hosting a, a little get-together. I can't be there with them to go to the zoo. I can't be there with them to uh, look at Curiosity Stream, which has wonderful programs on. For younger ones, I was so glad to see Sesame Street on CNN. They have a wonderful <laughs> little special about COVID with the Sesame characters. And Sesame has been up front and, and way out there a long time ago. And yeah. they're so tuned in to, to give parents a time uh, to, for somebody else to give information to the kids about these crazy times. We have to take advantage of that. So we can do it. We just can't invite them to the park or sleepovers, but we can take time to sit at a computer with our grandkids or to uh, say to a neighbor, here's a way we can connect. And I'd love to, to see your little ones for a bit mm -hmm. uh, and, and keep them entertained. You get busy and look for things. When you're doing that, you are, again, reaching out beyond yourself. And as James Natchway said, do good because good is good to do. It will help you as well as it helps the neighbor, um, the little one who needs a break from these parents who are losing it right now. <laughs> so, and it's okay. It's okay. We need to say that none of us are going to do this right. None of us have ever done this. Uh, one of my grandkids said to me, you know, this is going to be written up in history books. And I said, you're right. Mm -hmm. Your mother, your grandmother, me, my mother never lived through anything like this. But my great-grandmother did. So that's how far back we've got to go for you for this if ever happened. So you're right. You're living history right now in a very unique way. Mm -hmm. um, and let them know that. And we are. And in the midst of all that, life is still going on. And there are crises happening. And there are tragedies happening. And there are losses in each one of our lives. And we just have to say, remember, in the good times and the bad, this too will pass. And we together are going to get through this. Love that. I love it. Oh my gosh. Quickly, um, are there some common mistakes that parents do during a crisis? Uh, well, we, we all make mistakes. And for many of us, whatever loss we're dealing with is new to us. I mean, I have worked with children with handicaps um, most of my life. I was a special ed teacher. And yet when our own children have an illness or a infection or a cancer, uh, this is our first to deal mm -hmm. with it. So we need to depend on others. So one of the biggest mistakes we can make is not, is to think we can do it alone. Mm. We're going to get through this because I'm strong. Uh, we, we need one another to make it stronger. <laughs> Uh, to get through it. And another is to over-explain to kids. Uh, teenagers will clue us in, they'll roll their eyes, but younger ones may not. <laughs> they may dutifully listen or head off in another direction, but we over-explain things uh, or we scare them by not just giving the headlines and the facts and being present to them. And that we worry. I do what I call assertive worrying. And that means I worry when I need to, and then I don't have time to. 
people who are uh, veteran wor worriers, uh, they worry over everything and most of those things never come to pass. Mm -hmm. But if we do assertive worrying, that means that when I need to worry about something, rather than stew about it, oh, this could happen, this could happen, oh my goodness, what, this is going to happen. But to say, okay, what are the possibilities here? And if they happen, we'll get through it. And then when it hits you in the face, then you'll have the energy to deal with it. You won't be, uh, it's like a parent saying to a teenager, you better not be late. And then you worry the whole time that something's happening to them. Oh my God, they got arrested. Oh my God, they've been in a car accident. Oh, I, mm -hmm. and then they show up at the door a little late and you scream at them. Yeah. Because you were worried. <laughs> you know, but if you don't worry and you've helped them and you trust them, then when they show up a bit late, you can say, next time, call me. Need <laughs> mm. that phone okay. call. Yeah. Uh, and, or I'll be calling you and it might be an uncomfortable situation. But, you know, instead of worrying the whole time, there's a time we have to trust. We have to trust our kids are going to get through this. Uh, we have to trust that we can get through this together with our neighbors and our friends and as a larger community, if anything, I hope during this time, mm -hmm. we are recognizing the social inequalities, the healthcare inequalities, the racism, the sexism, and say, we're going to do this better with, mm -hmm. with this. Love that. So where can listeners learn more about you, your talks, your books? Give me all the information. I'll make sure to post everything. Okay, thank you. Um, it's Kids Are Worth It, all spelled out, not with that R for R, it's A-R-E. Kidsareworthit.com. It's www.kidsareworthit.com. Mm -hmm. You'll see all of the the books that I've written, but you'll also see handouts that are available. And, and keep watching because we're putting uh, listening guides up for those of you who have the CD or the DVD, the listening guide for those. And I'm also going to put, since I now own the rights to it, uh, my small pocket guide electronically for free. Uh, so parents can download that. It used to be called a bathroom book. You know, you can never <laughs> Here, let me go over this. Well, you can pick that off and, and all the different topics, much of which I've talked about today will be there uh, and the handouts are there. We also have an email. It's info.kidsareworthit at gmail.com. So they can reach us that way as well. I'm always happy to hear from people or answer some concerns that they may have. And are you on any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram? I am on Instagram and I'm on Twitter and I'm not the most active. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Just want to make sure. So I'll just ask you one question. I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. Keeping motherhood inspired, what one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Probably the biggest is that old Sufi saying, this too will pass. Mm. Remembering in the good times and the bad, this too will pass, that we can get through this together. Well, thank you, Barbara. Thank my, you. My, yeah. my daughter just came down the stairs, so that uh, was perfect. <laughs> she, needs a, she needs a big hug. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired Podcast. 
If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening. Two, three, four, five, six stars. Whatever you feel reflect podcast, this will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye, guys.